Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. I want to share with you a message that I've just simply entitled Entangled. Everybody say Entangled. I have uh, just had a heavy heart of late for the church, for people in the church, for the body of Christ at large, because I see this in an almost epidemic situation among believers, as that we are entangled in things that keep us from being fruitful, productive, powerful forces in the world that God has called us to. And I would say that probably 75% of the American church is anemic in their spirit life. That's, that's alarming, really. I may be being very gracious in that. I don't know. And I'm not being judgmental. I'm just looking at things from a pastoral standpoint. And, you know, we need to be like the sons of Issachar who understood the times and know what to do. And I believe that God is, 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 is doing something in these last days. And I, I firmly believe that we're living in the last days. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there, it's not speculative. It's not just, um, if it's real, we're here. You know, it's like you stand in line at Carowinds waiting to get on that 300 foot ride. And, and all along you're thinking, Am I going to be able to stomach this ride? And you go through this line, you think, well, I'm almost there. And you turn the corner and you see a sign that says, the wait from here is two and a half hours. <laughs> but you've come too far to turn back. <laughs> because you know if you go to another ride, you're going to wait at least an hour and a half to get to that point. So you carry on and you follow through and you get to the end of that turn and you turn the other corner and you look and you think, oh my God. <laughs> There's another line and you walk that line and you get to it and then you turn the corner and you look at that thing and you go, oh my God, I stood in line for this. And you get butterflies in your stomach and you get excited because you know you're in for the ride of your life. Because that's kind of where we are right now. You know, we've walked this thing out and we believed it all this time. And you walk to this corner and you think, I'm almost there, only to find that you've got another stretch to go through. But believe me, folks, we're getting ready to get on the ride. <laughs> We're getting ready to mount up, and we're so close. Don't pay that siren any attention. Just pray for the folks they're going after. But I want to share this scripture with you. Peter, Peter talked a lot about the last days. Matter of fact, he even talked about the last days on the day of Pentecost. Y'all realize that? He did. He said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel in the 
Last days, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Peter said, we're living in the last days then. Paul had to deal with those who were teaching that Jesus had already come the second time and the folks missed it in Thessalonica. You know, he, it's, there, there are always those that will seize an opportunity or whatever. Remember when Brother Frank was here and he was talking about, you know, 88 reasons why Jesus will come in 1988. I was around so many people who believed that. I mean, there were these tracts being written and people writing books and profiting on them and everything. You know, I'm just kind of like sitting back thinking, you know, wait a minute now. According to the word of God, no man knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Jesus didn't even know. Only God himself knew. So I don't believe that. And I just, I, I stood and I watched. And I remember being at work one day and all of, there was a group of people that met at lunchtime and someone had figured out mathematically that because it was a feast of the trumpets and this was happening and that was happening and blah, blah, blah. And they lined up all these things mathematically and they ascertained that Jesus was coming that day at 12 o'clock. And everybody's like, are you coming? Are you coming? I said, no, man, if he comes, I'll catch you. I'll catch up with you. You know, of course he didn't. But, Jesus said in the last, in the last days, there will be many would, would say, you know, this is, I am he and I am he and go here and go there. And he says, go not after them. In other words, he was saying, be sensible, be sane people, keep your nose in the word, stay on your knees, walk by faith. It'll happen when father's ready. You know, and there are a lot of people that are saying all kinds of stuff and lining all these up and doing this and that and connecting the dots here and there and everything else. And we got such a maze of prophetic utterances and everything. It gets so confusing at times. And a lot of people get disheartened when this happens. But I'm telling you, folks, stay in the word. But here's what you got to do. Be ready. For in the moment that you think not, the Son of Man is coming. Be ready, be sober, be vigilant. Be waiting, watching, looking for him. Unto him that unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Be looking for him. Keep your eyes upward. Have an upward gaze and understand that Jesus could come at any moment. So that should affect my behavior. That should affect the way that I live my life. I should not let up for one second. I should understand who I am, whose I am, where I'm at, and where I'm going. Peter said it this way. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, it says, For if they have, if after, everybody say after, they have escaped the defilements of the world, how? By the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It's happened to them according to the true proverb. If you want to read that proverb, in Proverbs 26, I believe, that says a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after its washing returns to its wallowing in the mire. 
Now, why does a dog turn to its vomit? Because that's its nature. That's what dogs do. I love my dog, but it can be pretty gross. I mean, I really got to watch what he eats. If I'm not careful, he'll eat what the other one ate. If you catch my drift. They're dogs. That's their nature. And what if you take a pig and you wash that pig up real good? You perfume it down real good. You clean it up really nice. Put a bow around its neck. Open the door. Turn that pig loose. What's it going to do? It's going to find a place to wallow in the mud. Why? That's its nature. That's what pigs do. But we're not pigs and we're not dogs. We're people of God. We belong to Jesus. And as people of God, it's not in our nature to do the things that we used to do when we were once in that old nature. In our old nature, we did those things because it was just what we do. I mean, I was a moron. And that's what morons do. They act like morons. And I did some moronic things, stupid stuff. I mean, I was the classic, hey, y'all, watch this. I survived by the grace of God. But there are things that entangle us, and it all depends on where we spend ourselves as to what we become entangled up in. I remember a song that came out back in the 70s, I think, and it was called Wrapped Up, Tied Up, Tangled Up in Jesus. I mean, that's cool, I guess, to think about that. I'm all wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus, you know, and that's all I think about, and that's good. And, but, you know, if all we're thinking about is just being wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus, we forget about the world around us and the need for Jesus. We're only thinking about ourselves sometimes. We get so so enthusiastic about our desire to go to heaven, we forget that there's a world that is lost and in need of Jesus and God has given us something. He's put something inside of us to empower us to reach lost people, to share the good news. And so, but if we spend all of our time around folks that would lead us astray, guess what's going to happen? We're going to get led astray simple as that. If we're listening to scriptures that have been perverted and if we hang around perverted people, we're going to become what we associate with. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, that bad company corrupts good morals. It just happens that way. I mean, I remember a message in uh, I always remember this one line. This guy, is, his name was Rich Wilkerson. And, and I used to love Rich. I still do. I love Rich Wilkerson. But he pastors a church down in Miami, Florida. He took a church that uh, my wife and I would know about because uh, we, were, we sat under a pastor who used to pastor that church. He had left and came here. And Rich went and took that church. And the church was dying. The church is thriving now. But Rich was an awesome guy, man. He was just really. But he was preaching this message about Joseph and his brothers. You know, and, 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 and so Joseph and his brothers are sitting around the campfire and they're having this conversation 
And, and Joseph comes up as they're having this conversation. They're asking one another, you know, hey, Judah, what you going to do? Well, I think I'm going to be a pervert. What about you, Reuben? Pervert. What about you, pervert? How about you, pervert, 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 pervert? But there was only one who realized that he wasn't doomed, nor was he cut out to be a pervert, and that was Joseph. The rest of them were. So we become victims of whatever we hang around and whatever consumes us or wherever we spend our time. That's what we become. That's why we need to be careful where we send our kids to school because they're going to come out as a product of where they spent their time because what goes into the mind determines our thinking. Our our thinking determines our actions and our actions determine our destiny. So be careful. It's important we pray over these things and understand these things. And so I'm I'm, I'm kind of getting sidetracked just a little bit, but I'm going to bring it right back. Here we go. Peter said in verses 17 through 19, this same chapter, he says, and he's talking about those who would deceive and those who would lead others astray. They said, these are springs without water and midst driven by as a storm for when the black darkness has been, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out of arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Wow. Now, I'm going to pause there just for a moment. Now, those who barely escape from those who live in error. I know a lot of people that have made a commitment to the Lord. Well, you know, I got saved at this crusade, or I got saved here, or I got saved there, but that's as far as they've gone. They haven't nurtured themselves in the Word of God. They haven't been consistent in the relationship with others who would hold them accountable to the things of God. They are no, under no pastoral care, under no authority, under nothing else. So they've only grown this far, but their fervor is dying and their passion for Christ begins to subside. But they would still ascertain, I'm saved. I'm barely, but we enter into error when we do those things promising them freedom while they themselves live and are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome by this, he is enslaved. Whatever captures our thinking and controls our mind and wherever we spend our time becomes our master. It's what drives us. If all we think about is money, 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 you know, well, I can't do this because I have to work because I have to earn money. You know, I'm making all my investments because I want to earn money. Everything becomes about that. Or if it comes about sensuality, man, I, I used to hang around with guys, you know, and I would, I would listen to them on Monday morning. Well, what'd you do Monday? Well, what'd you do this weekend? Well, when I got drunk, what'd you do? Well, I went and got drunk. What happened while you're drunk? I don't know. I think I got in a fight. And you'll see him on Friday. Hey, man, what you going to do this weekend? I think I'm going to go get drunk. That's what you did last week. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do this week. That's what I like to do. So they're coming Monday, dead broke, hangover, everything else, because they worked all week so that they could go out on the weekend and get drunk. I'm thinking, Wow. 
Thank you, Jesus. Because I used to do the same thing. But for the grace of God, there go I. But I was enslaved and I didn't understand it. I thought I was a master of everything. I thought I was free. I was free to do whatever I wanted to do. But I was enslaved by the things that I gave myself to. John said in John 8, 34, Jesus said in John 8, 34, he said, I assure you most and most solemnly, I tell you, whoever commits sin and practices sin is the slave of sin. See, we're not master over sin. Sin is master over us. Romans 6.16 says in the Amplified Bible, Do you not know that if you, are continue, if you continually surrender yourselves to anyone to do his will, you are slaves of him whom you obey, whether that be to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, which is right doing and right standing with God. So, when we become entangled in the entanglements of sin, it's like we're caught in a web. Entangled is defined this way. It means to cause to become twisted together or caught in a snarl or an entwining mass. I got a picture of that when I was thinking about fishing. And anybody ever, ever used an open face reel or, 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 or a, a cast, bait caster? Ronnie would know what I'm talking about. You know, if you cast that thing into the wind sometimes, it'll cause what we call bird nesting. It'll just, it just automatically, whoop. And you got a mess on your hands. I've actually stood for hours trying to straighten one out. I've got an entanglement. And it seems like the more you try to straighten it out, the worse it gets. And sometimes the only thing you can do is just cut it loose and start all over. And sometimes that's what we need to do. Cut it loose and start all over. That's what Jesus gives us. He gives us a fresh start. He gives us freedom from our entanglements. But we got to be willing to turn it loose. We can't straighten it out. I mean, some things are beyond straightening it out. Don't try to straighten it out because the more you try to straighten it out, the worse it gets. You just can't. Sometimes you just got to move on. Paul says those things, he said, so those things that, that I used to do, I don't do anymore. He says, I, I, I quit doing them. I moved on. So, you know, my, I, uh, the, the second part of this is, is to involve in a complicated situation or in circumstances from which it is difficult to disengage. You know, I, 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 really, I really love Jill, but you know what, man? She's really not that good for me. But I just can't turn her loose. I mean, she's complicated. She's complicated. She's, she's ruining my life, but I just can't turn her loose. It's complicated. We just can't disengage. Or, you know, I, I've tried to quit this, but I just, I just can't because it just feels too good. It's killing me, but I can't stop. I think we call that foolish behavior or insanity at its best. You know, I, I, I was on my back porch one morning. I get up early a lot of times, and sometimes I just wake up. Like the other morning, I just, boom, you know, just for no reason, 5 o'clock, bam, wake up, okay. I get up, I get out of bed. But one morning, it was like that, and, and it was kind of like an early fall of the year. You know, when insects are kind of trying to find their way around and do their thing, you know. And, 
And this, I was outside on my, on my back deck, and there was this beautiful moth, and I was watching it. It was one of those big ones. I don't know what kind it was, but it was beautiful. And it was just flying around, and I was watching this moth. And all of a sudden, it, it flew, and, and all of a, and just almost in midair, just boop, got stopped. And I looked up, and this beautiful moth was caught in a web that had been designed by a riding spider. Y'all know what riding spiders are, don't you? My wife loves them. About the size of your thumb, with their legs about that big around, you know, evil looking things. But they're really harmless creatures, but they look awesomely bad. But this thing had built this web, and I thought, and I saw him up at the corner. I saw him start to make his way down, like, ha. And I'm thinking, that poor little moth. So I go over and I gingerly took that moth and I, you know, tried not to handle it any more than I had to so that it could fly. And and I I got that moth out and I walked over to the edge of the porch and it flew away. I thought, oh, man, I just felt so good. You know, my good deed for the day. Set the moth free. And so then I started thinking about the spider. I got a... I'm, I can't tear that thing down. That spider works so hard for that thing. And the spider's got to eat too. I mean, you know, maybe a yellow jacket or a wasp will get in. Something I don't like. Or they get full of mosquitoes. And it can just eat all day, you know, little, have little munchy snacks. So I left it hanging there. And I went back inside. I got a cup of coffee and I got to thinking, you know, my wife's going to get up in a little bit. And she's going to walk outside, and if she sees that riding spider, she might have a nervous breakdown. Because <laughs> she does not like spiders. I tell you the truth, as Jesus would say. My wife used to have this little yellow Volkswagen. She tells me the story about being on Independence Boulevard one time. You know how busy Independence was. It's only gotten busier, but it's always been busy. She's on Independence Boulevard in her little yellow Volkswagen, and she happens to look up, and there's a spider suspended from the mirror coming down. And she stops in the middle of the street and gets out, backs up traffic, and would not get back in till someone produced a cadaver of a spider. I think some exterminator came along or something that had one, said, lady here. But she's out, she was that scared of spiders. She's gotten better. I mean, she's gotten brave. She'll kill them now if she's got something long enough. But anyway, I was just thinking, Lord, if she sees that spider, it's going to be over. So I went outside, and I was going to tear the web down. And when I looked up, guess what? The moth was right back in the web. And I thought... Nervous breakdown or no no nervous breakdown, that moth is going to get what it deserves. (laughs) Because the spider was only about that far from it. You know, I watched the spider, you know, and, and did its dirty work. But I thought, you know, this is so like so many brothers and sisters I know in the Lord who the Lord has brought them out so wonderfully saved them by his grace and washed them clean and 
only for them to go back to the web that they came out of, not understanding that it's death, it's defeat, it's no good. Nothing but harm can come out of it. But they find themselves right back in it. My God. My God. And Peter says that the bad thing about it is when they get back in that situation, their state is worse than it was before. Because they know better. You know, it's one thing for us to get ourselves in a situation where we don't know better. It's another thing when we know better and we still do it. It's like parachuting. Why does anyone want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane with a piece of cloth? Just for the thrill of it. Or why does somebody want to jump off of a a 300-foot cliff? into a pool of water that's surrounded by rocks and you only got a small margin of error error, just for the thrill of it. Well, I can watch it on television. I don't need to get it. That kind of thrill. You know what I'm saying? But why do we do the stupid things that we do? It's because some folks believe that when we become Christians that we leave our brains at the door. And we don't think. That we just continue in our animalistic behavior. In our old nature, nothing changes. But I want to tell you, Jesus said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So there has to be a change inside of us. And it has to be an ongoing change. A change where we grow in the grace and the knowledge of him who has saved us. When we understand who we are in Christ, and once we understand that we are children of God, that as children of God, we are not of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. You can go ahead and call me an alien because that's what I am. You can call me strange because I'm stranger. And I'm getting stranger all the time. That's okay. That's just who I am. Because this earth, this place is not my home. I am a citizen of heaven. That's where my citizenship is. I've got reservations in heaven. Permanent reservations. Thank God I don't have to come back. I got a mansion that's being built for me in glory, and, and I thank God for that. But while I'm here on this earth, there are changes that must take place in me if I am going to be fruitful in the things of God, if I'm going to make a difference, if I'm going to stand before the Lord and be able to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. If there's a lot of things that I must do, that's where the works of grace come in for me and for you. Is that required for salvation? No, salvation has already been accomplished. When did you get saved? 2,000 years ago. Not when you believed. When you believed is when you accepted what had already been done for you. But you were saved 2,000 years ago when Jesus accomplished the work at the cross. It wasn't by anything that you had done that you were saved. It was because of what he did. So we receive it. But now grace appears, and it teaches us something different. It teaches us to deny ungodliness, to live the life that God has for us. It's a good life. It's a great life. It's a wonderful life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. 
We don't go on living like we used to. I mean, it's not like a biological existence where we just get up in the morning, we put on our shoes and we, you know, kind of like the good old boys that get drunk on the weekends and they live to get drunk on the weekends. That's their life. My life counts for more than that. I pray that yours does too, that you have more in life to understand that God has created you for more than this. I mean, what you see here is just a little small portion of what we're created for. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 says this. And the writer of Hebrews, he was rebuking the people, that the recipients of his letter that he was writing to the Hebrews. He was basically rebuking them because as Hebrews... As people who had been given the oracles of God, as people who had been given the law, they ought to know better. They ought to know how to live by now. And they ought to understand the grace of God. They ought to understand who Jesus was. They ought to understand who the Messiah was. But here they are, and they're like infantile in their thinking. And he's just letting them have it, man. He's unloading both barrels on them. He says, concerning this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain. Since you have become dull in your spirit, you become dull in your hearing and sluggish, even slothful in achieving spiritual insight. For by this this time, you ought to be teaching others. You actually need someone to teach you over again the very first principles of God's word. You come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced and unskilled in the doctrines of righteousness, which is conformity to the divine will in purpose, thought, and action toward God. For he is a mere infant not able to talk yet. One of the things that definitely changes when we become believers is our speech. We talk differently because we're different inside. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Does that make sense? He goes on to say, but solid food is for full-grown men for whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice to discriminate between what is good and noble and what is evil and contrary either to divine or human law. And he goes on to admonish them to leave the elementary teachings and to grow into spiritual maturity. Hebrews 6, 3, he says, If indeed God permits, we will now proceed to advanced teaching. Now, when a person is not maturing in their faith, it's easy to understand and it's easy to spot them. Because the first time that you challenge them with the word of God, it's like meat. You know, I've I've got five grandbabies and I love them all. And they all mature at different stages. Now, my little Jackson, you know, he's he's, uh, 14 months old now. He's just beginning to eat solid food. Because every time you would give him solid food, he would choke on it. Little Abraham, he learned a little bit earlier how to eat solid food. I mean, that boy could take down a steak. I mean, he just, he's, he's what, three years old? I would not be afraid to stick a 10-ounce a, a, a ribeye in front of him, watch him devour it. He's amazing. He knows how to handle his food. But it's kind of indicative of, a, of, of, of people of God. In the, in, in, you know, we all grow at different stages. We all grow at different levels in our Christian walk. But one thing that we have to understand is maturity, what, what reveals our maturity is when we can take 
constructive instruction from the Word of God. Some folks just can't take it. So when we're challenged by it, we're like, I can't handle it. Just give me the milk, man. Just give me the simple stuff. Just just tell me I'm saved. Tell me I'm wonderful. Tell me how much Jesus loves me. Tell me I'm going to heaven. Don't don't tell me I've got to change because I'm not ready for that. that. That's 10 years down the road. But right now, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. So really don't tell me how to live my life. Non-productive, sluggish immaturity, no growth. I heard a preacher say one time, he says, it never really bothers me that, that people, you know, are in the church that have been there for 35 years, still feeding on the milk of God's word. He said, but the problem is when I have to part the mustache to put the bottle in. He said, there's just something wrong with that picture. You know, and I, I've been in this thing for 40 years. I'm beginning to understand what that preacher was talking about. When we are non-productive in our spiritual lives, though we've walked with Christ for years and years and years, and we're not really doing anything with the tools that God has given us. You know, I, you come to my house, I will amaze you at all the tools I got for carpentry. I will. My wife will tell you. I will amaze you. Just don't ask me to use them. I'm not good at it. I got them because every now and then I can do little simple things. But don't ask me to build nothing. I remember building a doghouse for my dogs. My dogs were totally, they were, they wouldn't go in it. I think they finally realized it was useful for helping them to climb the fence and get out. We ended up burning it. Yeah. We had a, I was a youth pastor at the time, and so we had an event. We called it Food, Foot, and Fire. We had football and food, and we burned the doghouse, roasted weenies on it. Most useful thing we did with it. But you understand what I'm saying? That we need to be skilled in righteousness. We need to be skilled in the things of God. We need to be skillful in the word of God by reason of use. And the more we practice it, the more we walk practically in the things of God, the more we grow in him. And the more we are able to absorb and the more we are able to intake the meat of God's word, we understand things. But as long as we're infantile in our thinking, in the spiritual realm, it's easy for us to be shifted here and shifted there to become unstable in all of our ways to be a, we were talking about this morning to be a dipsychotic Christian. Dysokis, psychosis. The, the word double-minded. Dipsychosis. Or diagnosis. We become double-minded in our thinking. One minute we're in the world, the next minute we're in the things of God, and one minute we're walking in faith, the next minute we're doubting. We're just, we're never able to get it together. But, but James says a man that lives this way is unstable in all of his ways, and don't think he's ever going to get anything from God. 
So we've got to change. We've got to, we've got to do some things different. So how do we avoid entanglements? And, and what do we do if we beca- become entangled? How do we escape? How do we get out of them? Well, first of all, we've got to get rid of those things that weigh us down and prove to entangle us. Get rid of them. My brothers used to like to tie me up. I got pretty good at untying knots and getting loose from things. I didn't like to be tied up. Nobody does. But my brothers didn't care. They liked to aggravate me. But I learned how to get out of those entanglements. But one thing I had to learn is you got to get out of the knots. You got to get them. Out. You got to get away from it. You got to get loose. You get the ropes off of. You get them. What are those things that entangle you? Get away from it. So when my brothers were coming and I knew that they were going to tie me up, what do you think I did? I ran. I got away from them. So we have to avoid those entire those things that will entangle us. We have to get away from them. Don't walk toward them. Get away from them. Listen, if you're prone to be addicted to alcohol, don't hang around bars. I mean, that should be so simple. I mean, you don't take an alcoholic to a bar. Hey, bro, you, how you doing with your alcohol? Well, man, I'm doing really good. I haven't had one for, for six months. Hey, let's celebrate and go get a beer. How stupid is that? If you were a person who had problems with lust, be careful where you put your computer. Watch where you go. Don't go to those places. Don't get entangled in it because it's a web that will entangle you and wrap you up like a cocoon. It will mess you up. Stay away from it. Ladies, if you have a problem with finances, get another hobby other than shopping. You know, find you another hobby. My wife likes to garden. She loves dirt. She likes plants. We've got a beautiful backyard, by the way. And it's all thanks to her. She loves to do it. And, and I, I jokingly, one day, I went into the, uh, uh, the uh, southern states. And so I'd ask my wife, I'd ask her all the time, say, honey, what would you like for me to pick up for you? I'm going to southern states. She said, just get me a bag of dirt. So I walked in one day. She says, I bet you're here for dirt. I said, yep, dirt bag sent me. <laughs> Our dirt's horrible at home, but she, she, she loves to do that kind of thing. But, you know, that's her hobby. That's okay. And, and, and I'm not saying we should divorce ourselves from all those things, but though any of those things which entangle us, we've got to get away from it. It says it like this in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great, great a cloud of witness, witnesses who have been, who have Born testimony to the truth. Let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance or unnecessary weight. And that which so, that sin which so easily or so readily, deftly and cleverly clings to and entangles us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady, at a steady pace, steady active persistence, the appointed course of the race that is set before us. And here's the other thing. Looking 
away from all that will distract us to Jesus. I like the way it says that. Looking away from all that will distract us to Jesus. Who? Who is the leader and the source of our faith? Giving the first incentive for our belief, and it is also the finisher, bringing it to maturity and to perfection. Someone told me this one time, and it's proven to be true, and it's been helpful in a lot of circumstances. Two things to remember, son, as you grow in the Lord. Keep your eyes on Jesus and remember it's nothing but the blood. That's helped me. Keep your eyes on Jesus and remember it's nothing but the blood. So you can write that down. It'll help you too. Number two, you've got to change your perspective on things and stop looking at things the way you have always viewed them. Get a new lens. Look in another direction. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. If we value the things here on this earth so much more than heaven, where do you think our heart's going to be? Be like Lot's wife. Luke 17, 34, very short scripture. But Jesus said to remember someone, and it wasn't David, it wasn't Moses, it wasn't Elijah. It wasn't any of the prophets. He said, remember Lot's wife. Because what did Lot's wife do? Her heart caused her to turn back to what she left behind. Don't get entangled in it again. Move forward, not backward. Let God transform your thinking. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by doing what? Changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There's so many distractions that can cause us to become entangled again to the destructiveness of sin. So my encouragement to you is be careful. Keep your mind trained on the word. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And when you do find yourself in the situation, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And what does verse 8 say? For your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, like a riding spider with a moth entangled in his web, looking for someone to devour. Here's what you got to do. Resist him. How? By standing firm in the faith. Where's your faith? Where's your confidence? It's in him. It's in Jesus. Not in yourself. Not in your own abilities. It's in the power of God. So when we stand firm in the power and the faith that we have in him, we can resist the devil. And the Bible says that when we humble ourselves and we draw near to God, we can resist the devil and he will do what? He will flee from us. That old right spider will go back to his corner. And Jesus will tear down the web. And you'll be free. You've been listening to Destiny City, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.